these spirit-inspired words, prophecy and tongues, to be a sign, and we need to let the sign do the works that God wants them to do. You know, in effect, Christian prophecy on the unbelievers, it's threefold. They're convicted of their sin. They'll be called to take account of those sins and examine their condition, and then they will have their sinful hearts and past laid open to inspection and ultimately be led right to Jesus. A little while before a fireworks display starts, they send up a test flare to see if it's dark enough to begin the main event. That initial boom gets your attention and shows you where to focus. Today, Pastor Daniel shares that God uses the Spirit-inspired words of prophecy in tongues as signs to point people to Him. You'll learn that God uses these gifts to shake people up and get their attention so they'll know where to look for perspective and help. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 as he continues his message, Spirit-Inspired Words. You know, I've gotten to travel around all over the world to be able to, to preach. You know, and it's an amazing thing when you're used to communicating with people, you share and they share, but when you meet and you're in another culture that doesn't speak, let's say, English, and you're speaking with people through interpreters, it's, it feels very strange because people are talking, all these things are going on, and you don't actually know what's going on until the interpreter tells you what's going on. And I don't know about you, because uh, maybe I, you know, I, I grew up in New Jersey, so I don't trust people so easily. Sometimes I don't know if they're really telling me the truth or not. You know, it's, it's kind of like those voiceovers on, on the foreign movies where they go, like, and they're like, hi. And you're like, that's all they said was hi? Like, all these words come out. It was just one. And, and in a lot of ways, the distinction of languages makes you feel like an outsider. And really what Paul is saying is that as amazing as tongues are, if it is not interpreted or if it doesn't come with understanding, then for people who are not in the know, they're going to feel like outsiders. They're going to feel like, hey, this isn't for me. I don't belong here. And, and those are not the things that God wants the local church to feel like. And I think what's really fascinating about all of this is that Paul, as he's breaking everything down, as he's boiling everything down, he ends up saying, listen, he's saying, I would rather speak five words with understanding that I may teach other than 10,000 words in a tongue. And, and he, earlier he says, I pray that you would speak with tongues as much as I do. You know, he's like, I speak, I speak with more, I have, I have more prayer language than you all do, but I would rather in the assembly of people speak five words that people can understand than thousands. And, and really what this boils down to for us, if, we're, if we just want to like, how do we bring this down to real practical is what God is really concerned with us is that we're not self-centered, that we're not selfish, that it's not like, this is what I want to do and so that I do it. But it's like, no, how does everybody get blessed? So it's, he's not saying that tongues are not as good as prophecy. He's saying that without understanding and interpretation, tongues don't have the ability to edify everybody the way the gift of prophecy does. And what God really wants to do for all of us is actually divorce us from our obsession with ourselves so that everything within the church is not about us. And, and listen, isn't that a tall order? Isn't that, I don't know about you, I'm always seeing in my own life how selfish that I can be. 
right? We, we have it in our house. I, I remember, some of you might be able to relate with my struggles. So, you know, I, I actually, I, I never grew up with dogs because I'm allergic to dogs. I'm literally, I'm allergic to dogs. And I actually got bit by my neighbor's dog when I was a kid. So as a kid, I got scared of dogs and I realized that I was uh, intensely allergic to dogs. And so I never had a dog. And I remember, uh, this was now, gosh, 12 years ago, 10 years ago, uh, where, you know, we had Obadiah and Maranatha. They were young. And of course, you know, my bride, Lynn, she grew up with a dog. And so she's like, you know, we need to get a dog. And I'm like, hey, I'm allergic to dogs. I'm actually kind of scared of dogs. I'm not really the, I'm not a dog person. And, and But you know how it goes when mom, mama comes and she's like, oh, please. And then the kids start coming. Oh, oh, daddy, daddy, please. We want a dog. Oh God, we want a puppy. Dad, please. But all we've ever wanted is a puppy. And you know how that goes. No matter how strong you are, you can't live up to that. It's three against one. It's not even fair. You know, then you go to your Bible and it says, esteem others higher than you. And you're like, okay, fine, we'll get a dog, right? But there was one rule that came forth when we were getting a dog. You know what that rule was? That rule was, we'll take care of the dog. Every dad's heard this. We'll take care of the dog. Because you know what happened? The very first night, the dog starts barking. Mama rolls over, hits me and says, can you get the dog? It's like, we had the dog for like eight hours. I'm already up in the middle of the night. Right? And it's like, oh yeah, you're going you're gonna to feed the dog. You're going to walk. No, I do, I do a lot of it, you know? And, and, I, and I bring this up, of course, because I realize how selfish I am as it relates to the dog. Because there's sometimes I just want to put my hands on my waist and be like, you guys told me that you were going to take care of the dog. Why am I the one up in the middle of the night? Why am I the one who's got to walk the dog? Why am I the one who's got to fix what the dog chewed on? You said you were going to take care of this. But then I'm like, but I like the dog. You know, our dog Molly now, she's, she's, an, she's an old lady now, but she's cool, man. We like Molly, you know? But at the same time, I realize how selfish I can be because I'm like, man, I don't want to deal with this right now. I got other things to deal with. But then I'm reminded, of course, that what God is trying to do is make me Jesus-centered and other-centered. He, he's trying to move me from it being all about me to being about God and others. And in the same way, every once in a while, we run into a situation where somebody with the spiritual gifts, it's just all about them. And it's like, well, hold on. If it's all about love, then it's not about you. It's about Jesus. And it's not about you doing what you want to do. It's about saying, hey, listen, I'm going to esteem others higher than myself. In a lot of ways, it's what we've also learned as we've gone through a global pandemic and a public health crisis, is that people really struggle with doing things that they don't want to do for other people. And as I keep seeing, I see it in my own life, and I'm like, here it is again. It's, I'm selfish. And really what Paul is saying here is that in the context of the local church, it's not about selfishness, it's about selflessness. It's about how do we build up the most people? And of course, he wants that understanding and that interpretation to be there. And it reminds you, of course, of Proverbs chapter two, verses one to nine, this idea of with understanding and interpretation where it says, my son, this is Proverbs two. It says, my son, if you receive my words and you treasure my commands within you so that you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding. Yes. If you cry out for discernment, if you lift up your voice for understanding, if you seek her, as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and you will find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk uprightly. He guards the path of justice and he preserves the way of his saints then you will understand righteousness and justice, equity 
and every good path. So it's saying that God wants us in Proverbs 2, 1 and 9, that God wants us to desire wisdom, to desire understanding, to walk in that wisdom. And when we seek after it, God wants to give it to us. So as it relates to the the gift of tongues and how it should function in the local church, God is saying, look, I want you to function in understanding. I I want you to make sure that everyone can be built up in the process. Now, as we continue down 1 Corinthians 14, picking up in verse 20, the Apostle Paul says this. He says, brethren, do not be children in understanding. However, in malice be babes, but in understanding be mature. In the law it is written, with men of other tongues and other lips, I will speak to this people. And yet for all that, they will not hear me, says the Lord. Therefore, tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophesy is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. Therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place... And all speak with tongues. And there comes in those who are uninformed or unbelievers. Will they not say that you are out of your mind? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an uninformed person comes in, he is convinced by all and is convicted by all. And thus the secrets of his hearts are revealed. And so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. So, so what really what we learn here now is that God wants us to let the signs do the work. God wants us to let the signs do the work. He's saying, little children, don't be children in understanding. Don't be immature as it relates to understanding. In malice, be babes. Have no interactions with malice, but with understanding, we want to be mature. So remember we said interpretation and understanding must be sought. And now he's saying, look, grow up in understanding. The people of God should be wise in understanding. And then he uses a quotation from Isaiah chapter 28, verses 11 and 12, where it says, with men of other tongues and other lips, I will speak to this people, and yet for all that they will not hear me. And really it's a prophecy of the Gentiles, the people of other tongues and other lips from the Jewish people, coming and, and, and talking about Jesus to the Jewish people who have rejected Jesus as the Messiah, right? But he says, therefore, tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophecy is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. And so really what's going on here is he's, he's saying in effect that even though tongues does not edify everybody, it is a sign to the unbeliever. Whereas prophecy is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. And so again, because because prophecy is for people and tongues are for God. When an, a non-believer sees someone speaking in tongues, they're like, what is going on right now? And that's why the Apostle Paul says, therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues and there comes in those who are uninformed and unbelievers, will they not say that you're out of your mind? And li- literally, I've been to churches like that where, where someone comes on in, everyone's speaking in tongues and people are like, what is going on? Right? Because they don't understand what's going on. And it, and it seems like they're crazy. They're speaking unintelligibly. There's all these things going on. And it is a sign to them, but they don't understand what's going on. But notice, but if all prophecy and an unbeliever, an uninformed person comes on in, he is convinced by all and he is convicted by all. And thus the secrets of his hearts are revealed. And so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. So you hear what's going on here. He's saying, again, 
He's bringing us back to the idea that prophecy is important because if an unbeliever, an uninformed person comes in, it is a sign, but they think that it's nuts. But then if people start prophesying, all of a sudden, oftentimes God will use the words of prophecy, the words being shared to convict their hearts. And then before you know it, they're falling down and they're saying, God is in this place. See, so God wants the local church to be a place where uninformed people or non-believers come and where they get to meet with God. And in a lot of ways, I think that's why Crossroads is such a unique place. Because for a lot of local churches, and again, it's, like, it's not my responsibility. I pray for all churches. For a lot of churches, it's really just about believers wanting to use all the gifts that they have. Right, And so it, there's never a thought of what is a non-believer going to think when they walk in the door. It's just, I want to walk in these gifts. And a lot of times people get upset. Like, well, I want to do this thing. It's like, well, actually, it's not about you. It's about Jesus. And you want to do that. Like, what's going to happen if a non-believer walks in? And a lot of times believers forget that part of our job is to do the work of evangelism and make more disciples. Right, And so really what we're seeing here is that what God wants is God wants the people of God that for uninformed and unbelievers to come on in and feel super comfortable being there, but also get to meet with God. So it's not just about making unbelievers comfortable. It's about creating an environment where they can meet with God. One of my, my great joys is I meet people all the time. They say, hey, Daniel, listen, I've been coming to Crossroads, been here a couple of weeks or a couple of months, you know, and I don't believe in Jesus, but I just, I really look forward to being here. Is it cool that I'm here? It's super cool that you're here. And I always say, I really want you to put your faith and trust. And he's like, I know, I know. Every time I do the altar call, I'm I'm wondering if I'm going to raise my hand. I'm like, well, you want to give your life to Jesus right now? Because I believe that when God's word is taught in a prophetic way and people worship prophetically and people share with one another, before you know it, people hear things. How did you know this? I mean, we've all had that experience, right? Where, Where you go to church or you hear a message, you feel like, you know, God just sent your mail to the pastor, where all of a sudden everything's just like, boom, that's lining up, boom, that's lining up. Wow, how did they know that about me? You know, I love when I hear messages and I just feel like, man, that message was for me. It just like nails all the things I'm working through right now. That's how God uses his word in a prophetic way because God's word is prophetic. And so really we need to let the signs do the work. And in a lot of ways, that's what the early church was all about. Listen to Acts chapter 8. Verses uh, 4 to 8, it says it this way. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. And then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did for unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed. And many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was great joy in the city. So again, God wants these spirit-inspired words, prophecy and tongues to be a sign and we need to let the sign do the works that God wants them to do. You know, in effect, Christian prophecy on the unbelievers, it's threefold. They're convicted of their sin. They'll be called to take account of those sins and examine their condition and then they will have their sinful hearts and past laid open to inspection and ultimately be led right to Jesus, which is what God wants. Now, look at what happens next in verse 26. It says, how is it then, brethren, when you come together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. If anyone speaks in tongue, let there be two or at the most three, each in turn, and let one interpret. 
But if there is no interpreter, let him keep silent in church and let him speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others judge. For if anything is revealed to another who sits by, let the first keep silent. For you can all prophesy one by one that all may learn and all may be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets for God is not the author of confusion, but of peace as in all the churches of the saints. So really to bring all this to a close, what the apostle Paul is really advocating with these spirit inspired words of tongues and prophecy is that edification is key. Building up is key. God's main focus in the gifts of the Spirit is to build people up. And and really what you have here is the Apostle Paul needs to unpack for the church in Corinth what does it mean to be Spirit-filled in a way that isn't self-centered, but be Spirit-filled in a way that builds everybody up. Notice what he says, verse 26. How is it then, brethren, whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation? Has an interpretation. Now, don't miss. That's a great compliment. He's like, man, like, how is it that everybody's got a spiritual gift to share when you guys get together? Now, this wasn't like a a, a church in a building like Crossroads. I mean, people come to, to the Crossroads campus like, man, this is huge. I mean, like, this is a house church. So there's people in a house, a small, we would call it a community group or a small group. And he's like, when everybody gets together in this church in Corinth, everybody's got a spiritual gift to share. And that's a kind of an awesome thing. But the problem is, no, it's let all things be done for edification. How do we do that? First, you take turns. This is stuff we learned in kindergarten, right? You take turns. If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two, or at the most three, each in turn, and let one interpret. And if there is no interpreter, let him keep silent in church, and let him speak to himself and to God. So, so notice, Really, Paul's exhortation is for everyone to be edified, there needs to be some sort of order. And he's like, okay, listen, take turns. Not too many, one at a time, and with interpretation. But if there's not interpretation, then let them keep silent. You can still speak your tongues to God, but it's not for the assembly. See, I mean, so much of the what could be weirdness in the body of Christ is simply already corrected 2,000 years ago by the Apostle Paul. He's like, listen, it's not supposed to be a tongues-a-thon. Right? If we want to edify, if we want to edify the whole body, that you take turns, two at the most, three, always with interpretation. Without interpretation, then we, we keep silent in church. You know, and, and I think this is really powerful because in a lot of ways, and we've seen that here at Crossroads when we, when we have our, our responding nights, where if there's a gift of tongues, we say, okay, Lord, is there an interpretation? And if there's an interpretation, then we know that we're, we're open for more tongues to be spoken as we seek interpretation. If there's not, we say, Lord, well, because your word says that there's not interpretation, the person who has the gift of tongues can still praise God in their tongues, but it's not for the assembly. It's in an individual thing because tongues are for God and prophecy is for people. In the same way, if you have prophets, notice what it says. Verse 29, let two or three prophets speak and let the others judge. And if anything is revealed to another who sits by, let them first keep silent for you can all prophesy one by one that you may learn and all may be encouraged and the spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets. So again, where there's prophecy, you take turns. 
right? And as you take turns, then you also seek confirmation. I think this is important as it relates to the gifts of the Spirit. We should seek confirmation for the truthfulness of it. Because sometimes people use the gift of prophecy, but it's actually not from the Lord. It's from the devil. It's from the flesh. You have to realize that one of the ways Satan tries to obscure the glory of Jesus in the midst of the spiritual gifts is by people using the gifts in ways that God doesn't want them to. People speaking out of turn. And so you don't just accept everything. One of the things that I notice sometimes is when someone gets a prophetic word, they want to hold that prophetic word higher than the word of God, which I always think is a problem. I'm always like, no, no, we have God's word. And then when people give a prophetic word, then we say, well, Lord, does it line up with your word? Do the godly people who I know are prophetic people, do they confirm this word as it relates to me? Right, And it keeps us out of a lot of trouble if we're willing to simply seek the confirmation. So I always tell people, when someone gives me a prophetic word, and I get lots of them, I always write them down because I, I, want, I want to have a, a written copy of it so I don't you know, change it on time and I don't misunderstand it. Right, But I receive the word. But I never take that word as the word of God. That's not coming from Sinai. Then I say, okay, how does this line up with the word of God? And then there are people who I check with to seek confirmation. Because what I found is that a lot of people want to speak prophetically and they just want you to do what they want you to do. And they use Jesus as a way to get you to do what you want to do. And it's actually all crazy because actually just because someone said this is what thus says the Lord, unless it's in my Bible, I hold it in a different category. And I say, okay, Lord, is there a confirmation to this? And I seek after the confirmation. But why, why do I do it that way? Because what's God's goal? His goal is edification. And edification can't happen if we're outside of the will of God. Edification can't happen if someone's got an agenda putting Jesus in the center of their agenda to try and force you to do what they want you to do, right? And so the key is edification. Of course, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11 says, therefore, comfort each other and edify one another just as you are also doing. Comfort, and, and, and I wanted to land this message there on this idea of edification because as it relates to our word, that's what God ultimately wants. God's word builds us up, edifies us, comforts us, and God wants our words to do the exact same thing, whether it's just the conversations that we're having or the spirit-inspired words that we receive in the context of the local church, be them prophecy or the gift of tongues. God's goal is always absolutely the same, that we edify one another. And what I want to encourage you today is I want to encourage you to make edifying other people with your words the goal of your life. Saying, Lord, I'm going to honor you by edifying the people around me. And the simplest way to edify people is to point them to Jesus. And of course, Jesus, this is what he wants. He's in John 10, 10, it says, the thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they might have life and that they might have life more abundantly. So as we let our words be inspired by the Spirit and as we seek to build people up with our words, we are not only living the abundant life, but we get to promote the abundant life in the life of other people because as our text says, for God is not the author of confusion, but he's the author of peace. Beautiful, isn't it? Jesus is real. Today, Pastor Daniel shared that you should make edifying others with your words one of your lifelong goals. 
God uses his words to comfort you and he wants you to use the things you say to do the same for others. You learned that the purpose of prophecy should be for edification and comfort. This happens when it's practiced in an orderly way by those who are walking in the will of God without their own agenda. Hey everybody, Pastor Daniel here. I realize that there are many of you You're not a born-again follower of Jesus. You've never put your faith and trust in Jesus. But as you've been listening, you've been saying to yourself, I want to begin to follow Jesus. I want to help you do that right now. We're going to pray a simple prayer that just acknowledges who Jesus is in your life. Pray this prayer with me. Say, Jesus, I'm giving you my life. Thank you for saving me. I believe in you, your life, your death on the cross, and your resurrection. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. For those of you who just received Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, I'm so excited for you. I want to help you take your next steps with Him. So pull out your mobile phone, text the word SAVED to 51400, S-A-V-E-D to 51400, and my team will get in touch with you. We want to get some more resources in your hands to help you on this journey. Thanks for joining us as Pastor Daniel closed out this series about your words and how you should use them. In Proverbs, you saw that you need to choose your words carefully. The book of James revealed that the things you say have great power and influence. And because of that, you need to be in control of your tongue and intentionally deploy your words to bless others. Finally, you learn that your spirit-inspired words should edify the people around you. Well, that's all the time we have for today's broadcast. On behalf of Pastor Daniel and the entire production team, we invite you to join us again for the next edition of Jesus is Real Radio. 